Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. I want us to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Now, I just want to read this passage, and then I think we're going to take it a little bit different direction than maybe, um, maybe we've ever looked at before. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, why don't you say that crazy name with me, Caesarea Philippi. Okay, so that's a fancy word you're saying right here from the onset today. He asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah's. Or one of the prophets. Verse 15. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? That's a fancy way of saying, who do you say that I am? Verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ. Like you are, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed art thou Simon Barjona, which was his name, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And watch this. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hey, there's all kinds of stuff to love about that scripture right there. That's a good preacher scripture right there. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I'm thankful that we're a part of the church. We are a part of something that is unstoppable, something that the enemy cannot cannot hinder, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of the living God. And that's what we're a part of. So why don't we pray today and ask God's word to speak to us. I just pray for boldness today. I feel like God wants to just send us out just on fire and ready to change our world. So why don't we just pray together and ask the Lord to help us today. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for what we feel in this place. I just love the opportunity to sing these songs to you of worship and praise. God, would you feel this time? This is all about your word. So let it be less of me and more of you. Let us all individually hear from you today and leave and be changed so that we can change our world in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Awesome. And you can be seated. You can be seated. Um, this, this year, the political atmosphere in our society is charged, wouldn't you say so? I got a question this morning. How many of you are enjoying the chaos of it all? Like how many... You're just enjoying the chaos of everything that's happening. Let me see your hand. Are you enjoying what you know the chaos of all the politics stuff? How many of you you cannot wait for it to be over? How many of you that's that's you in this place? Um, how many you may say, okay, well I can't stand it. How many how many have been watching the debates? How many? Have, have, how many have seen all the debates? How many of you watch, have watched all the debates? All right, be, be proud or all that you know of. You watched a lot of them. How many have watched a good portion of them? That'd be me. I have my hand's up there. How many are like debates? What is that? Like there's been a debate happening. <laughs> be like, what is going on? Uh, we're, I'm enjoying it personally. I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying seeing what's happening. And, and I tell you what, I, more than ever, I, I realize our country needs a lot of prayer and a lot of Jesus. Um, this, this year, the political atmosphere is charged, as it is every four years in our country. And the candidates that are for president are always peddling hope to us, aren't they? That they each have slogans. And, and I ask you, please don't cheer. If you, some of you may, we may not recognize what the slogans are, but please, this is not a political thing. 
at all. But I, I just found it interesting. I was looking up this week what the slogans of candidates are, and a lot of these candidates are, are no longer candidates, but here are some of them. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. That's one. Here's another one. Heal, inspire, revive. If you say it, you know, dramatic, it makes it feel better. Um, here's another one. New possibilities, real leadership. Uh, here is another one from the uh, reigniting the promise of America. Make America great again. A political revolution is coming. A new American century. Here's, here's another one. From hope to higher ground. That just sounds, you know, just dignified. From hope to higher ground. What is it? This is... This is, these are people, I'm sure people uh, that, that, that really, most of them have a desire to, to truly help our country. That, that they look at the real problems in our world and they're trying to be the one to fix it. They're, we're surrounded by real issues and real situations, economic situations. We're facing global crises and political maneuvering that's taking place, not just in our nation, but in the world around us. We're facing the moral decay of our society like we never have before. And I dare say that they're problems that cannot be solved with dollars and they cannot be solved with bills either. They're, 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 they're situations that I believe are beyond just what we can do within ourselves. But they're, it's hope that's only found in Jesus. It's hope that's only found in God. It's hope and only found in what I believe God's greatest gift to humanity is the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ mobilized is the hope of the world. I believe if we can activate the church that Jesus came to die for, his bride, if we can activate that body, then it will literally be the hope, be the change, be all of the things that those slogans are trying to do. It's only found in the hope that's in Jesus Christ and in the, that's found in his church. I love the fact that the church is a place where it doesn't matter what you come from. It doesn't matter what you're facing. You can find a home here at his church. I about called this message Church in the Wild because of a song that I heard from a great theologian named Jay-Z. Just joking. Um, some years ago, whenever I was a youth pastor, it was called No Church in the Wild. And if you heard it, you probably need to get saved. But that's okay. You're at church today, so you can get saved. But uh, the, the, the song essentially is all about how, man, it's, it's describing an environment where culture has so surrounded this group of people that they're in such issues, such problems, that they're in the wild of life. In that there's absolutely no church for them. In other words, there's no hope for them. There's no place for them in the church. There's no place for them, no hope for them. And it always kind of bugged me a little bit. And for some reason, that came back to me whenever I was prepared for this weekend. And I thought, you know what? I wish I could get them to come to City Hills because I believe this is a church for the wild. I believe this is a church. It doesn't matter what you come from. It doesn't matter what you face. You may be in all kinds of situations, but this is a place where you can find hope and life in Jesus Christ. That this is a place that doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. This is not a normal church. We don't need to have normal church anymore. Normal church is not working. 
that 20% of Americans today say that they even attend church. And in my lifetime, in 30 years ago, 40% of Americans went to church. And by 2015, statisticians say that only 9% of Americans will go to church. That is to say that my grandkids will go to school and they will be one of 10 Christians. They'll be, they will be one Christian out of 10 people in their community. I want to say we do not need church as usual. We don't need normal because normal's not working. We need a place for the hurting, for the broken, for people that are sick. That's where the church needs to be. For people that are in debt, that's where the church needs to be. For people that are blind, for people that are addicted, for people that are in chains, that's where the church needs to be. If you notice what I said, I didn't say that they need to be at the church, which they do, and that's wonderful. But too many times we treat the world, we don't want to go in the wild, we want to go to the zoo. We want to go and we want to look at our society and see how bad it is. And can you believe how bad the political candidates are? And can you believe how bad the music is? Can you believe how bad? And all we want to do is curse the darkness. And it is dark, I promise you, and it's getting darker But we don't need to curse the darkness as much as we need to shine the light of Jesus Christ in the midst of the darkness. Not be in the zoo saying, oh, look at how bad those those animals are. No, no, we need to get in the wild because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And if we'll share the light of Jesus. I'm fired up today if you have not noticed. I called somebody on the phone yesterday and they're like, you're fired up. I said, I am fired up about this because I believe this is what... Jesus was fired up about. Like, light doesn't make a difference in the middle of the sunshine. Too many times we want to keep all the light of God around other people who already have the light of God. But Jesus is wanting us to go to a place where the light, it's amazing. Have you ever... We could turn off all the lights in this room, which we're not going to do, but I could turn off all the lights in this room, and, and re- no matter how dark it was, we could go to the darkest place. I, I, I grew up around Mammoth Cave, a couple hours away from Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. It's one of the largest, it's one of the seven um, natural wonders of the world. It's not too far away from here, and they take you deep, deep, deep down in the cave, and, and, and they turn off all the lights, and it is, I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. I don't know if you've ever experienced darkness like that, but what happens in the far distant part of that cave, one of those rangers lights a little bitty match. And do you know that it doesn't matter how bad the darkness of that cave is. It's the darkest dark that there is. But one little candle, we were able to see everybody else around it. Why? Because darkness cannot compare to light. Darkness cannot hinder light. Darkness cannot stop it for just a moment. We, we want to say, well, I don't, wanna, I don't want the world to get on me. You just shine the light of Jesus and you just watch what he will do in your world. It's amazing. See, Jesus understood that he had to give his disciples graphic descriptions time and time again for them to be able to understand their purpose. He was going to go away to prepare a place and he was going to leave the leadership of his bride, the church, into the hands of a bunch of fishermen and and, and crooks and, and, and people with issues. It was just people with issues. Uh, Twelve ordinary men, the disciples became the apostles, that they were just ordinary people. And Jesus chose ordinary people. Don't you love that about him? That he doesn't choose the elite. He chose the, the, the ordinary. 
to let us know that he still chooses ordinary people. He specializes in choosing ordinary people. So what, so, so, so what Jesus did, he said, I understand these guys have some pretty thick skulls, so i got to show them some graphic um, things to let them remember what they're called to do. Because they too lived in a broken world. They too lived in a very dark society. As a matter of fact, I believe in some ways much darker than ours even today. So we pick up in the scripture. I want to take you on a journey in Matthew chapter 16. Where Jesus had been ministering in the area that near the Sea of Galilee. Which is what he generally did. He stayed in a very small area or, um, in, in regards to his ministry. He didn't go all over the place as much as he did stay in, in a certain region. But in Matthew chapter 16, there's a detour that takes place. And instead of staying in Bethsaida near the Sea of Galilee where he always was, he goes to a place, and you said it earlier, he goes to a place out of the way called Caesarea Philippi. This was 25 miles away and it was at the northernmost area of Judea. This was the furthest that we have recorded that Jesus, furthest north that Jesus ever traveled in his earthly ministry that we have recorded. See, it was not something that he was going to just uh, on the way to something else. But he made a specific 25... I don't know if you've made a 25-mile hike anywhere recently, but I promise you didn't do that by accident, you know. And he went 25 miles on purpose to take, I believe, to take his disciples um, on a field trip to discover what their purpose was going to be all about. He took them to Caesarea Philippi, a place that they probably had never been before because it was a place where most good Jews would never go. Caesarea Philippi was a very ungodly place. Caesarea Philippi was like the, I don't know, the Vegas of their days. But even much worse. Herod ruled there. It was under Roman rule. And, and because of that, Caesarea Philippi allowed all... All of the gods, all the Roman gods and goddesses to, to, to be worshipped there. It was like a cafeteria of cults and false gods. In Caesarea Philippi, history records that there were temples to Baal, Asheroth, Zeus, Echo, Aphrodite, Pan, and even to Caesar himself. It was a cesspool of a place. that There were human sacrifice that would take place place there. People would literally sacrifice. There were temple prostitution. They would sacrifice children there. There were, I, 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 there were so many horrendous acts that would take place there in worship to their false gods. And then Jesus, think about it, Jesus takes his people to this place. I want to read it again. We, we looked at it, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. So, so imagine it. So it's, you know, Jesus and all his, you know, his 12 disciples, you know, these people, they're trying to learn to be like their rabbi, the one that they love and the one that they serve, the religious one. And he takes them to a place they never imagined going. There's all kinds of music. There's all kinds of things they've probably never seen before. And they were probably darting their eyes. You know, they'd, oh, my, I could, Jesus, I cannot believe that you brought us to this place. This is crazy. It says, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I find it interesting. He asked them the question of who he is in the middle of the culture on display around them. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elias. Others, Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And he said to him, but who do you say that I am? And Peter looks around at all the so-called false gods 
in Caesarea Philippi and says, Thou art the Christ. Now, I love the little caveat. He says, Son of the living God. In other words, all these other gods around us, they're just dead. They're not, they're not even alive. They're not even you are the You're the living God. You're the son of the living God. Like, you're the real deal. All those other gods are dead. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And then Jesus says the famous words, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Why don't you say that with me? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that scripture because it's so full of meaning. It's so packed with purpose. And there are, there are many different ideas about exactly what this statement means. Some believe that Jesus saying this, that the rock was Peter because he said, you're Peter. And Peter literally meant a stone. And he was, he was literally saying that you're a rock. Like, I'm going to take you, Peter, and I'm going to build my church on your ministry. And I'm going to use you. And we know that's exactly what happened. Because the first sermon of the church on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached that. So, so, so there's nothing wrong with understanding that, 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 yes, Peter is a rock that Jesus was talking. But also, there's a, another more... Probably a deeper meaning understanding is simply this, that when Peter had the revelation of who Jesus was, he understood this, that Jesus is the rock that the church is built on. There may be ministries, there may be people that come and go, but the rock is on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That there's no other foundation that can be laid except for that of Christ Jesus. That Jesus is the rock of ages. He's the Old Testament stone in the wilderness. He's the New Testament cornerstone. That he is the rock is the revelation of who Jesus truly was. Indeed, the son of the living God. The church is founded on him. He's the rock. I love that. I think it's important to remember that's what it's founded on. It's not on our style. It's, not on, it's on Jesus Christ, the rock. That's what church is all about. But I want to present to you, not to take away from the other in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but in, 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 the, in the idea of looking at this from a historical perspective, I want us to maybe go in a little different direction than what you may have seen in this passage before. This Caesarea Philippi had a landmark that was known, and if if you go to Caesarea Philippi today, you will still see it. It is in the center of town, and it's simply called the Rock of the Gods, if you will. I think I brought a picture yeah, depicting what this was. It was a huge stone that wherever you were in town, you could not help but miss it. And the rock served as temples. Temples were built into the rock. They were built out of the rock. Sacrifices took place in the rock and in the caves. It represented all of the false gods that, 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 that were worshipped in this very heathen and pagan place. And not to take away from Jesus being the rock or Jesus using Peter to make a great difference in the church. Could it have been that it, and even, a, even another, see the Bible's like a diamond. The more you turn it, the more you look at it, it just gets more and more beautiful. But could it be 
that in that place, in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is standing there and he looks in the middle of all these people that are worshiping all these other gods and these people, the disciples had never seen it so bad before and they think, oh, this place is so far from God. Oh, I want to get back to all the safe places. I want to get back to where everybody's saved. I want to get back to where everybody's clean and everybody looks right. Nobody is different. I want to get back to that place. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. When you have a revelation of who I am, I want you to understand that I want to build my church right there on this rock, on this rock of sin, on this rock that represents broken people, on this rock that represents people that aren't worshiping me and people that are far from me. I'm going to build my church right here in the middle of it. It's as if Jesus was trying to remind them to never forget the rock. That's what I titled this sermon today. Never forget the rock. I, I could just imagine they're going, Jesus has, has, has been crucified, risen again, and they're going about their ministry. And they have an opportunity to just go and to stay in the comfort zone with all the people that already know about who Jesus is. And I just believe in the middle of the night, whenever they're in the middle of comfortable Christianity, there may have been something that came to Peter's mind. Don't forget about the rock. This is not about perfect people. This is not about everybody who has it together. This is about remember the rock. Remember that there's broken people out there and that's where God wants to build his church. I believe God was trying to tell them a couple practical truths about this reality. First of all is that never forget that the church is not for perfect people. Never forget the church is not for perfect people. Jesus knew that they would someday experience the temptation to make the church a country club for the saved instead of a hospital for the broken. He knew that there would be something, there would be a natural pull and draw to doing things in the safety, in the comfort of, of what they already knew instead of reaching out to people that are broken. And Jesus says, hey, don't forget about the rock. Don't forget that this gospel is for imperfect people. Never forget that in Bethlehem, Jesus was born into a mess so that he could show he wants to be born into the mess of our lives and the mess of the lives around us. If you came in here today and you have a mess in your life, I want you to know that that's exactly where God wants to build his church, right on brokenness, right on impossibility. He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of our mess. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, we read it earlier to the beginning of the service. I love this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus reading from the Torah himself. He's, he's reading about himself. He says, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind and set the, set the oppressed free. Jesus says, you know, understand this thing is for broken people. This thing is for blind people. This thing is for people that are in cap captivity. And that's why I've been anointed. I haven't been anointed so that I can be comfortable. I've been anointed so that I can proclaim some good news to somebody who needs it so distant from God. The church is a place where broken people believe. It's in the church where we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ week after week. 
I promise this church is going to be a place where if you bring somebody that needs Jesus in this place, I promise we're not going to let one Sunday go by without them having an opportunity to hear the gospel, hear that they can, in Christ, receive what receive the righteousness of God by faith. That it's, the gra- it's amazing grace, and I promise this is a place, the church is a place where broken people can believe and find the good news of Jesus Christ. The church is a place not just where broken people believe, the church is a place where broken people belong. We find a place at the church where we can Or we can find a community of people where we can belong here. See, the church is the only level ground on planet Earth. See, the church is the only place that truly doesn't matter how many zeros in your bank account, what your last name is, what color your skin is, what what you did last night. The church is the only place on planet Earth. This is the only level ground. It's at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. That none of us can stand And point our finger down at anybody else because each and every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And we each stand level at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter how rich you are. Doesn't matter how poor you are. Doesn't matter how educated you are. Doesn't matter how ignorant you are. That God says this is a place where you can belong. The church is a place where broken people not only believe, they belong and they can become all that God has called them to be. That's why we have the growth track. Next Sunday, we're, we're, we're having the growth track, and it's an opportunity for you to find out your unique purpose and gifting. And we want to we walk with you to help you discover your purpose because I promise you are not living the life that God intended if you don't know why he puts you on this earth in the first place. 70% of Christians don't even know what their spiritual gift is. We want to help you discover that so that you can get on a team that's making a difference. Here's the second thing I believe Jesus was trying to tell them about the rock. Never forget the church is not just about you. <laughs> I'm sure there was, a, there was a natural thing that began to happen where church began to be about their cliques and what was comfortable to them and their own personal comfort. God, I, I'm going to be very selective because, you know, this, it's, it's really all about me. See, many times we ask God to use us, but then we, we, we run away because we feel used. <laughs> because we realize Okay, this, this thing really does mean lay my life down. It, it really is not about me. And so, so I, I'm just going to go to another place where I'm not expected. Because I, I uh, why? Because it's, it's about my personal comfort. I call this, I, whenever I get into this, I call this the, the disease of me. <laughs> whenever I get into it's all about me. You know, if I'm having a bad day, everybody's having a bad day. I get what I want. Everything's about me. And I can sound really spiritual. I can sound really deep. And I can put a lot of Bible verses behind whatever I think. But at the end of the day, I can get to a place where I'm just so selfish. And I want everything to be about me. And God says, no, I want you to be in the habit of remembering that it's not about you. Remember the rock. Remember this place where I took you 25 miles out of the way. I want you to put a Google pin on there. Because I'm going to pour out the Spirit in Jerusalem not very long from now. And after you're enjoying the Holy Spirit and you're enjoying all the things God's doing, I want you to remember in the back of your head, the Holy Spirit and my empowerment in your life is not for your enjoyment. It's so that you can go and take what you have back to this rock where people need me. Back to this rock where people need help and need strength. 
I love Mark chapter 2, and I'll go quickly. Mark chapter 2 and verse 3, it's there in your notes. It says, some men came bringing to Jesus or to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. I want you to remember that. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above, above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Watch what's happening. God, these four friends go to someone in need, to someone that they know that's paralyzed, and they say, hey, we want to get them to Jesus. So they actually, when they got to the house where Jesus was, and instead of giving up, instead of saying, well, the house is already full, they actually get creative, and they climb to the very top of the roof, and they break the roof open, and they go down, and they get to Jesus, and Jesus comes, and Jesus forgives the man's sin. It's just a miracle of what's happening. And the Bible says immediately Jesus knew in his spirit, and he knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? There were religious people in the place that they weren't as concerned with the man that had a need. They were all concerned with the religious protocol of the day. So I want to give us some, some, some things. I want to give you some challenges and, and give the church some challenges. What I feel like the Lord is speaking to us this morning. First of all, we will follow the path of the Holy Spirit over the process of religion. Watch this. Jesus is doing something great. Jesus is healing this man. Jesus is forgiving his sins. There's a miracle that's taking place. And all these guys can think about is the protocol. Well, is he really, can he really forgive sins? Who is he? And they have all these religious ideas about what it's supposed to be. That this church is not about religion as it is following a relationship with Jesus. It's about broken people. Broken people break the protocol. Jesus says, I have, a, I have a leaning. Here's the leaning. It's mercy toward people that are in need. Jesus said, I didn't come to hang out with all those who already have it together, but I came to seek and save that which is lost. So we're going we're gonna to follow the Holy Spirit. Like we're gonna, well, This is not going to be about, oh, you've got to be perfect if you're going to be a part of City Hills and everything has to be, in, you know, you got to have everything together if you're going to be part of this. No, no, no. We're going to say it doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, that there's a place for you and we're going to walk with you and we're going to help you do what God's called you to do because there's a miracle in your life. And we want to help you experience it. That's what we want you to experience Jesus goes on, which is easier to say the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is just schooling them all over the place. Then he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. We need to be people that see the possibility in people, not just the problems in people. Jesus took a 25-mile journey. He said, hey, guys, I want you to look around all these people. You may see all their sin. You may see all their paganism. You may see all their false gods. You may see all the wrong things they're doing. But you know what? I want my church to be here. Because I don't just see the problems. I see the possibilities. That's who Jesus is. So I want to make another challenge. Here's the second challenge that we learned from these men. Then we need to do what we can. Do what we can. You'll never be expected to do something for God 
that you don't already have the power to, to, to step into it. Sometimes the step's impossible. Sometimes the step's like Peter under the water. But still Peter had the opportunity. He had the choice to make. He had the power to step out onto it. Have you ever known someone who, who knew your problem, but they, they could have helped you, but they just didn't do anything about it? Maybe they just drove past you or just kind of forgot you. Um, growing up in church, um, something that I learned from my pastor growing up um, is he always was focused on the trash in the parking lot and at the church. And uh, it was like, I just, I just learned <laughs> that if I saw a piece, and I do it to this day, I just can't, I cannot walk past a piece of trash. Um, if I'm just out and about, if I'm at the mall, if I'm at chick I, I rarely walk past a piece of trash, and it's because of my pastor growing up. Because he always said, if you want to be used to God, you got to pick up trash. It's the little things that matter, right? So it's the little things. It's not the, it's not the standing behind a micro, with a microphone. It's, it's picking up trash. And, um, and uh, I got thinking too many times, I think we walk past the trash in our lives. We think people are trash. We don't pick them up. I'm thinking, thank God that somebody taught me to pick up some trash along the way. Because thank God somebody picked me up along the way whenever I needed help. Sometimes we need to stop and do what we can. You're not expected to save the whole world, but you know what? You, can, you got somebody in your life that you can help. I love the fact that they work together. I love that. I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I love that they took the initiative to do what they could. I want to tell you, the difference between a growing church and a dead church is just one word. One word. The word invite. The word invite. It's the difference between a church that's alive and a church that's dead. Invite. When you ask people how they came to church, um, statistics say that 6 to 8% say they just walked in. Two to three percent said they liked some program in the church. Eight to ten percent said they liked the pastor. That's sad, only eight to ten percent. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> three to four percent had a need met by the church. That's terrible. There's not more than that. People, more needs met. One to two percent said they were witnessed to or randomly or received a card or something random. Uh, three to four percent said they came in through Sunday school. But 70 to 80% were invited by a friend or relative. Think about how you came to church. How you got saved. Think how you came to Jesus. Probably was. You're probably in that percentage just like I was. Heard a staggering statistic this week that 83% of people who are currently active in church came because a friend or relative invited them. And that 82% of people who are not active in church said when asked, they would come if a friend or a relative invited them to come. I want to say it again. 82% of people that are not active in church said when asked that if a friend or relative invited them, that they would choose to come. And the statistic went on to say that the average church member can identify seven unchurched friends. So I want you to think about that. Who are the seven people in your life that are closest to you, that are, that, that are unchurched, that need Jesus, that need hope. 
Think about it. I put it on, on, the, on the back of your page. I put seven, seven blanks because that's your homework. I'd love for you to do it before you walk out of this place because we're going to lift up those names to the Lord. Because not only will 82% of people come if just invited by a friend or a relative, if, if you invite them to Easter, the statistics are even better because everybody goes to church on Easter. So just a couple weeks away, on March the 27th, we're going to be having Easter Sunday. And I want to challenge you to make a personal invitation. A personal invitation to those seven people. In your worship guide, you received a little stack of cards. Um, there are only six cards in there, just so that I could be pithy and say I gave you a six-pack today. I'll give you another card for your seventh person. But here's the deal. Either we care or we don't. That's just the reality. Either we care or we don't. Either church is about us or it's not. Either it's about people that need him or it's about us. And why are churches shutting their doors? Why are people leaving the church? Why? Because church just becomes all about the people that come on Sundays. And we, we forget about the people in our world that need him. We give up on them. But I love what these guys do. I'm sure there were hundreds and hundreds of people that had needs in their world. But these, these men took the need of someone in their life very seriously. And they said, we're not going to stop until we get to Jesus. Here's the last thing I want to challenge you and say, we will not stop short. When these men came to Jesus, there was a barrier. All these people, they could have said, well, Jerry... Uh, I'm, you know, it looks like we're going to have to wait for the next Messiah healer to come. Uh, we got to go back home. There's fried chicken for us. We, we, we got to leave. It's, we tried. No, they said, we're not stopping short. If people never have the opportunity to hear the gospel, and I'm not giving you, please don't be pushy. Please be kind. Please, all those things, please. But here's the deal. It matters that we reach out beyond and care for those that are far from God. Why don't we stand all over the house today? I want you to think about those seven people. Remember the rock. You say, oh no, Brandon. And people I'm thinking about, they're a little too far away from God. They're, they got a little bit too many issues. They got too many problems. You don't, you don't want them at this church. And I want to say, you know what? Don't qualify the call. God's, that's God's business. You just love them. You just invite them. Just give them a chance to come to the harvest and just see what Jesus would do. Because upon this rock, Christ Jesus... In the middle of a broken world, that's where the church will be built. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you love us beyond our situation. Thank you, Lord, that you're so full of mercy that you will reach us right in the middle of our need. God, let us leave this place. I pray that those cards in our worship guides, those, I pray that those we take serious, God. I pray we take that very serious because this thing's not about us. It's about people in our world that need you and help us to reach out beyond that. In Jesus' name.